Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the PMM podcast and the first of 2024. It's been a couple of months since the last episode, so it's good to be back. This month, we're tackling the thorny issue of fake parts. How big an issue are they in the UK? And what can you do to avoid being caught out? First, though, we popped by Robert Cocking's Motor Repairs in Yeovil recently to speak to the workshop director, Tom Cockings. We'll be featuring our conversation in a later episode of the podcast, discussing what it's like working in a father-son workshop. But for now, here's Tom discussing his ride or die tool. Hi, my name's Tom Cockings. I'm the managing director of Robert Cockings Motor Repairs. It has to be this tool from Pickler. It is a heat inductor for unseasoned things like track run ends, suspension bolts, you name it, something that needs to get hot, it'll do it. It's a fantastic tool. Induction heat, very cool. Or not cool, just safe, I guess. Anyway, Freya, what news do you have for us this month? Thanks, Kieran, and a very late Happy New Year to our listeners. Now, as always, there's a lot to get into this month, so I'll jump right into it. In case you missed it, the government has finally confirmed that MOTs will continue to be undertaken under the existing 311 pattern rather than 411 following an industry consultation. The consultation, which ran from January to March last year, sought the views of those in the aftermarket to ensure roadworthiness checks continue to balance the cost of motorists, road safety, advances in technology and tackling vehicle emissions. This is a huge victory for the automotive industry and motorists alike and has been widely celebrated by organisations such as the SMMT, the IMI and Garage Industry Trends. Mark Field, IAAF Chief Executive said, plans to extend the first test from three to four years have been met with the full power of the entire automotive industry including motorists who have been united in their view that extending the test frequency risks driver safety. Speaking of MOTs, more than 70% of MOT testers are yet to submit their annual assessment ahead of the 31st of March deadline. Failure to complete the assessment could lead to suspension and the need to submit additional and laborious checks to regain their certification. The IMI says this could have a serious impact on garages' ability to complete MOT testing, which will impact their profits. Next up, Strike action by more than 180 Hartlepool workers employed at TMD Friction has ended after Trade Union Unite secured a two-year 11% pay deal. After previously rejecting a below-inflation 4% pay rise, the workers have now voted to accept the deal of 7.5% backdated to June 2023 and 3.5% from June this year. To wrap things up, We'd like to invite you, our listeners, to our trade show, Mechanics PMM Live, the UK's longest-running trade show dedicated solely to the independent aftermarket, has added another show for 2024, taking place at the Yorkshire Event Centre in Harrogate on the 16th and 17th of May. This is on top of returning to Sandown Park in Surrey on the 12th and 13th of November. The show is free to attend, so register your attendance now at mechanics.info. And now, back to you, Kieran. Thanks, Freya. MOT frequency remains unchanged. Who would have guessed? 
Before we go to our main feature, I wanted to share with you a conversation professional motor factor editor Tom Henman had recently with our headline sponsor, Allied Nippon, about the launch of their new EV Plus brake pads, engineered specifically for EVs. Hi, uh, I'm Matt Ellis. I work as part of Allied Nippon's braking product development team. Uh, I've been working here for uh, around four and a half years. So talk to us about EV+. So EV+, uh, is really Allied Nippon's first launch into a kind of non-standard braking programme. Um, it's given us this opportunity to, you know, to some extent reinvent the brand, to, to offer a premium product into the market, whilst kind of maintaining our are very much loved and trusted brand in the market and position with the Allied Nippon brand. EV Plus offers a kind of dedicated EV product to electric vehicle drivers. It's got a number of benefits. Uh, we've really looked at what EVs require, what electric vehicles require, what are their needs, uh, and what we can do to kind of address that with with the EV Plus brand. So, so what we try to target, uh, you know, is is noise as, an, as a major one. Um, we know that we want to EVs are quieter vehicles, and and nobody wants to hear brake noise. Nobody wants that serene driving experience interrupted by by harsh squeaky brakes. The stopping power is something we've also paid a lot of attention to. It's something that often gets lost. Electric vehicles not only accelerate faster, they also are much heavier vehicles. You know, those those big batteries really do pack on the pounds. So we've really focused on on improving. The, the friction, both formulation and also the treatments with it. Uh, so we've got uh, our brake boost technology on the surface of the pad for instant friction outside the box. And we've also added a scorching process, which is the first of its kind for the Comline group. So Motor Factor listeners maybe think to themselves, I'd quite like to start some of these brake pads. Why should they? It ultimately gives uh, Motor Factors an opportunity to, to upsell uh, and essentially make a bit more margin. It is a premium product. Uh, you know, as I said, this formulation, uh, we specially tested it and developed it to be low noise. We've been field testing it in the market now for five years and the results are absolutely proven. You know, we're not putting this out there and, and hoping it works based on uh, dynamometer testing. You know, this is real world, uh, real results that we've seen from, from this material. Um, so that alone is worth paying the premium for. Uh, but we've gone one step further you know we've addressed the the stopping power side of things as well so the CEM 115 friction material also has a much better in-stop performance uh, so the pedal feel is much more stable uh, and much more comfortable for the for the user the brake boost technology uh, that's a a resin-based surface coating that provides you that instant friction right out of the box so there's no bedding in required from the garage you're saving money there as a garage Um, and also you know customers don't have to do it themselves the final thing is the scorching. So this is a kind of a first of its kind for the Comline group. Essentially, it's uh, taking the pads to, to school, to braking school at the factory to teach them how to brake. And so when they come into the real world, they've known they've done it all before. They know how to brake uh, and, the, and the user can be 100% sure that they're going to brake safely every time. Can these attributes also be applied to vehicles with internal combustion engines as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the core braking difference between uh, combustion engine vehicles and electric vehicles is not really too profound. These pads could absolutely be fitted to a combustion engine vehicle uh, and, and work perfectly fine. It is really just a kind of superior spec. It's an up spec based on, on what our standard range is. Um, so they're, they're entirely suitable, but what you're buying here is a, a product that's been dedicated and developed purely with electric vehicles in mind and, and to address their needs. If you want to fit it to a combustion engine vehicle, you could do. It would work completely safely, but it's very much targeted towards that electric vehicle market. If a mechanic was indeed to fit these EV brake pads to a vehicle with an internal combustion engine, 
could it potentially improve performance or would performance generally stay the same? No, it would absolutely improve the performance. So all the things we've discussed here, you know, would absolutely still apply to combustion engines. You know, the actual brake systems remarkably haven't changed at all when you look at OE versus combustion engine from the from the vehicle manufacturer. We're actually quite surprised how little change there has been. So, you know, it's not the brake systems that change, it's the vehicle that changes, it's the weight, it's the noise, all these things that need to be addressed, you know. So it's not a need, but it's an absolutely a kind of it's there to address the needs that electric vehicles have. Thanks, Tom. And we'll be hearing a little more from Allied Nippon next month too. So this month we're talking about fake parts. And this is in direct response to an email we received last year asking us, well, are fake parts on the rise? The garage owner who got in touch with us had seen and heard anecdotally of a rise in fake parts, and he wanted us to investigate. Since that point, we've kept our collective ear to the ground and asked around, to which feedback has been, shall we say, mixed. One supplier will tell us the market is rife with knockoff gear, another that the UK is officially fake-free. So who's telling the truth? Well, maybe it's not for us to say. But I think what this episode will do is shed some light on how big an issue fake parts is, which parts are most often faked, what impact they can have on garages, and most importantly, how to avoid them. Tom and I have actually teamed up for this episode. So whilst you won't be getting Tom's usual factor spotlight, you will be getting more of Tom interviewing people right here in this feature. So to begin, let's discuss what we actually mean by fake parts. And to answer that, Siti Abdullah, Technical Training Coordinator from Brembo, spoke to Tom. It's a component that's not been manufactured or does not have the research and and innovation and technology that has been invested into it uh, that original equipment manufacturers across the board have an objective to do whilst working with like the prestigious vehicle manufacturers globally. Okay and would you say that there are many of these so-called fake parts circulating within the industry? Uh, Absolutely so like um, and there's a massive reason for this as well because if you take Brembo as an example Uh, Brembo is a really cool and a desired brand as well and Brembo's brakes they've got like a fan base of millions globally me included. Brembo fans put your hands up as City puts it there fake parts aren't necessarily parts that claim to be from a certain manufacturer or at least that's not the most pressing issue unlike buying a pair of Borbery socks or Aldidas trainers from the market there is a very real safety implication associated with fake automotive parts. Whilst there are many Brambo brakes out there, there are also many no-name brakes which claim to be up to regulation, but which haven't been manufactured or tested to anywhere near the appropriate standards expected in the UK, or anywhere else for that matter. I spoke to Stuart James, head of the Independent Garage Association, the IGA, and he started by telling me which parts were most likely to be faked. We tend to see the fast-moving items such as brake pads, you know, brake discs, fast-moving servicey kind of items, really. They're high-volume, high-turnover. However, you know, fake parts themselves or counterfeit parts have, have been around for many, many years and, and 
we've worked with various government departments on sort of addressing these issues over the years. They're still very much around. I also caught up with Natera, formerly NGK's Ron Merrills, who pointed to the role brand allure plays as well. Well, I think that all goods are susceptible to counterfeiters, but counterfeiters will always try to capitalise on the success of well-known brands uh, such as NGK and NTK. Going back to the earlier point about fake parts not necessarily being a brand ripoff, Stuart from the IGA argues it's not necessarily about the branding at all. I mean, to somebody who's not in the motor trade, they, they wouldn't know who, who is a good parts manufacturer or who is, a, who is not, you know. So, so I don't think it matters so much which box they come in. You know, some, some counterfeit parts come in in boxes that are labelled up uh, the same as the manufacturer and they're just an absolute copy, you know. But in, in many cases, for a consumer, they, if they're not in the motor trade, they wouldn't know who's a, a good parts manufacturer or a bad parts manufacturer. So I'd say to any consumer, just if a part is too cheap online, there's a reason why it's too cheap and it's probably counterfeit. Of course, if the trickery ended with the packaging, there would be very little risk of parts being unwittingly fitted to customers' cars. The problem is that, as Mike Sadler from Denso explained to Tom, by eye, modern forgeries are extremely hard to differentiate from the real deal. If you look at our common rail systems, working at a clearance of one micron, we are still seeing counterfeit injectors being produced, whereas the counterfeit injectors will not meet emission legislation but the customer doesn't care because he's making a saving when he uh, when he purchases it until his MOT comes about, that is. <laughs> yeah, for braking as well, the counterfeiting can be not visible to like the eye. Like, same with like what Mike was saying. That was City there at the end. She spoke to Tom with Mike at the same time, as both Brembo and Denso are members of OESA, an association for original equipment manufacturers. OESA's mission is to promote the importance of OE parts in the aftermarket. So what measures are being put in place to fight forgeries? Since 2019, on the packaging of each individual disc, uh, there's a Brembo hologram that cannot be replicated and a QR code that can also be scanned with your smartphone to confirm the authenticity of the product. So break disc product codes from like November 2016. This is when um, the ECE R90 approval was introduced are marked with the Brembo code and the logo. And similarly on our brake pads as well, there is a QR code on the safety seal on the box, again required by the ECE R90. So that QR code can be scanned to confirm the authenticity of the product. And we encourage everyone to report any suspicious product by emailing academy at brembo.it. And I asked the same to Stuart from the IGA. We had a major campaign probably uh, before lockdown, so about four or five years ago, working with the Information Commissioner's Office and Trading Standards. Uh, We created a poster campaign and had quite a lot of publicity around it, advising garages that really any consumer supply part is best not to take that job on, really. It would leave us, we advised them on their legal position where that part to fail at a later date and it, and it left the garage vulnerable to, you know, liability on that. We did create, uh, with the commissioner's office, th- this poster was actually uh, created uh, and we sent this out to all of our members at the time. Sometimes the posters and QR codes, the preventative measures, they're not enough. Sometimes a good old dawn raid is called for. 
First, let's hear from Mike from Denso. Then after that, from Ron at Nitera. It's basically trying to undercut the price of a genuine part. Because if you take, for example, the suction control valve on a uh, common rail high pressure pump, the Metropolitan Police or trading standards with the aid of Metropolitan Police raided a lockup in uh, in London. <clears throat> there was Bosch, Delphi, Siemens. Of our product alone, one part number, three and a half thousand units. So there, you wouldn't get the longevity of part. A garage could quite happily purchase it on the premise that it is a genuine part and suffer the cost of warranty when it fails early. From time to time, we make ad hoc anonymous test purchases. There was a flurry of reports uh, of people buying fake spark plugs several years ago and test purchases were made and we confirmed that uh, a seller was definitely selling non-genuine parts. So we worked in conjunction with trading standards and after they conducted their own investigations and satisfied themselves that fake parts were being sold, we actually went on a dawn raid on the premises together with trading standards and also the police. Wow. Uh, although most of the fake NGK plugs had gone, a lot of fake OE oil filters were seized. Um, so the, this guy was definitely selling fake goods. So that resulted in a, a, a prosecution and the guy obviously no, no longer presents a threat. So that instance then, was that um, an isolated instance or was he working as, as part of a larger network? Well, we, we actually found invoices uh, in his possession which allowed trading standards to sort of backtrack uh, along the, the supply chain. So yeah, uh, I mean any, any, any raid on something like that, they just go through everything. There's no stone left unturned basically to try and get to the bottom of what's going on. They, they, they took it pretty seriously then? Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. And, and, and why should garages take it seriously then? Is there, are there risks involved with fake parts? Yeah, definitely. If you take uh, the the issue that you have um, uh, spark plugs, for instance, which uh, our factory and engineers invest much time and money and resources and R&D work, and they work closely with vehicle manufacturers as well to produce exactly the correct plug for any given engine. So it's an area where counterfeiters are unable to replicate given often unique, sometimes hidden designs and quality of materials used. So the plug might look the same on the outside, but performance and durability, of course, uh, can be compromised. Apart from service life being severely less due to materials used, such as some plugs, which are supposed to be precious metal, maybe they don't contain any precious metal at all. Worst case, would be that using fake plugs can cause engine damage. This would not be uncommon at all, as the fake plugs are they're unlikely to perform well in a in as combustion chambers that the rising temperature, they can't transfer the combustion heat into the engine's cooling system quickly enough, and the materials used would result in plugs melting and possible engine damage as well. Mm. So I mean that's just taking one item, a possible fake spark plug, can cause that, and it could go for any any product at all that uh, counterfeiters are, are, are bringing to market, basically. When we spoke to Matt Ellis at Comline Allied Nippon, 
that's who Tom spoke to earlier in this episode, he was quite succinct about the technical failures of fake parts. So let's hear from Matt. So we're always testing essentially every batch of, of friction that we produce. The counterfeits just ultimately aren't doing that. You know, it might look the same, but it's absolutely not. You put the icing on the cake, it could be a sponge underneath there, it could be lead. You know, it, it may look the same, but it's not going to perform the same. Now, it goes without saying that fake parts can have serious ramifications, both on the vehicle and on the safety of the driver. But you might be thinking, yeah, that's true for a brake pad or an airbag. And yes, fake airbags, a real thing, unbelievably. But what about something innocuous, like, for instance, a light bulb? Well, I spoke to Richard Armstrong from LumiLeds, UK distributors of Philips bulbs at last year's Auto Mechanica, and he had this to say. Please be sure these were never Philips bulbs in the first place. If they're putting packaging that looks like ours, unfortunately, it's a copy. And even worse than being cheated, you're not buying the Philips brand. The bulbs are likely to fail very quickly. And extreme cases that we've seen, uh, in Germany in particular, where cars have caught fire because the vehicle has been fitted with a counterfeit bulb. Richard Armstrong there, shining a light on a burning issue. So fake parts are out there. I think that much is clear by now. But before you break out the micrometer and start measuring your spark plugs, listen to what Stuart James has to say on how those parts are reaching garages. A clue? It's the source of most garage-related headaches. We're tending to see them more now in the consumer domain where the consumers are actually purchasing them online themselves. They see them, you know, at very, I suppose, reasonable prices online as compared uh, to the prices there it could be quoted from their garages uh, and the consumer is not realizing that they're actually not a genuine component which obviously has uh, knock-on implications and so how big a problem then is it overall in the uk i think in today's world i know i know some of the online sellers sell huge amounts uh, i don't know the exact volumes but I can only gauge it uh, with the numbers of consumers that take a a part that they've sourced from maybe online or or, or from somewhere else into a garage, one of our member sites, and actually ask them to uh, fit that that part. It's kind of connected then with with customers, customer bought parts, which is always a kind of perennial problem really, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's customer source parts that are the main problem now. And I think, you know, with the campaigns that have happened and the advice over over the years that our our, our members have received, most of our members, I would say, if not all, we advise them not to accept customer supply parts. They don't know the provenance of that part. They don't know where it's come from. They don't know the warranty implications. If that part were to fail after one of our members were, were to fit it, then there's huge warranty implications as well. There's implications all the way along. You know, we always sort of say that the the garage should deal with the whole job. That's the supplier parts, fitting of the parts, and the consumer then has has the security of knowing that if anything should fail at any time within the warranty period, then it would be honoured by the garage. And this was backed up by Mike at Denso. We have a lot of cases where you speak to garages and you sit at the garage, are you using genuine product? And they say, basically, it depends what the customer wants. If he wants to pay for genuine, yes. If not, they'll go for a licensed copy or whatever they can get, which is cheapest. And going back to the three and a half thousand suction control valves, 
the trading standards involved there said as soon as you shut down this outlet, another one will open somewhere else. But shouldn't the garages not even give their customers this option because of the safety issues that City mentioned, for example? Isn't that what it comes down to? You've still got garages that, that will actually accept customers bringing in their own parts to be fitted. And won't do any background checks of where these nope. products have been sourced or anything of that nope. nature. Well, that's a well, that's a problem, isn't it? I mean, it's all very well OEMs and, and other companies actually putting these procedures and whatever else in place. But if the garages, the guys that are fitting these products are still fitting. I think it's predominantly deprived areas within uh, in, inner cities. Another bugbear of the professional workshop, customer parts. If I had a pound for every letter we'd received about customer parts, I'd have about six pounds, which in trade magazine terms is a virtual flood of letters. But where do the customers find these parts? I mean, they're not picking them up at the co-op, that's for sure. Richard Armstrong, again. They've been sold online, unfortunately, uh, and they're, they're coming um, from the other side of the world. And they can look attractive. And I would say the people that are carrying out the counterfeiting are criminals, but that doesn't make them idiots. If a bulb is, for example, retailing at £100, the days are gone when they would sell it for 20 and hoped for you to buy it on price. It could be as much as 80 or 90 pound. That's a lot of money for them to make and a lot for you to lose. But on perception, you can think, well, it's 10% cheaper. It looks like a good bargain. And I would like to point something else out, if I may, that this is not Del Boy and Rodney in the marketplace saying this. This is dedicated criminal gangs. Sophisticated. Highly sophisticated, operating on a global level. Um, that are not just involved in counterfeiting, but other very serious criminal activities. Yes, online selling is the easiest way to shift fake and low-quality parts. It was probably quite an obvious answer, really, but worth discussing all the same. Obvious, I think, because most, if not all, garages are already wary of buying safety-critical parts from a random seller online with nothing really to back up the trustworthiness of that sale. And what a good point from Richard there. How easy would it be if dodgy parts were still sold at ridiculously low prices? I mean, it's easy to spot something's wrong when an RRP, £100 part, is being sold for 20 quid online. But when it's being sold for 90 that just feels like a good deal, doesn't it? I mean, don't get me wrong. Buying parts online need an end in failure. But you need a seller you can trust. I asked Niteras Ron what garages can do, and he was unequivocal. Well, I would always, always suggest that purchasing through their normal bricks and mortar car components supplier would be the, the best uh, avenue. And Brembo City made a similar point about reputation. We make very careful decisions about who we partner with to make sure that they are known, that they have got like compliance regulations with them, so that this in turn does not affect the reputation of us as well as them. So uh, it is only with known suppliers that we would have partnerships with. And yes, I mean, it's with everything. If it's too good to be true, like if a product seems to be so well-priced that it is such a bargain and it is within like a non-trusted like source through like an unknown like website, then we would definitely recommend for people to be vigilant because it doesn't only affect your your trading, like um, it's a deathly trade basically between 
price and also safety. With brakes, there's just no compromise on safety. It is, like uh, as I said, an active safety component. Lastly, let's hear from Stuart James discussing what ramifications fitting suspect parts could have on the garage itself. Well, technically, the garage, the customer could say that the way it was the way the component was fitted and the garage would be potentially liable to have to repair that car free of charge. And if that was a serious failure, like a timing belt or a timing belt tensioner, it could have wrecked the engine and, and, and it could be a very big a very big outlay for the garage, an awful lot of pain, a very little gain of accepting that customer supply part in the first place. Wow, that was, I think, the longest feature we've done so far. Certainly, it's taken the longest to put together, but I think it was well worth it. It's good to see that the authorities are taking the problem seriously, raiding the premises of black market sellers. But let's face it, the police will always be playing catch-up on that front. More effective by far, I think, is saying no to customer-supplied parts and, and buying parts from a reputable motor factor. That way, you can pick up a copy of PMM whilst you're at it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the PMM podcast. I would like to thank the whole team and everyone who participated, including Allied Nippon, our sponsors for the episode. Join us next month when Freya will be catching up with Matt Cleveley to discuss the future of electric vehicles in the UK. Meanwhile, keep an eye or an ear out for our new podcast series, PMM's Aftermarket Chats, which will be coming to a podcast platform near you very soon. Don't miss out. Bye-bye.